0: greetings everyone and welcome to timothy's table a part of the timothy network this is our first edition of timothy's table a place to talk and learn from the timothys and pauls of our generation my name is taylor fairbanks and honestly this is a dream come true Timothy's Table was a part of a vision that God gave me over two years ago that came into a crossroads with a vision given to evangelist A.J. Holloway, both of us being passionate about helping and equipping the future leaders and ministers of the church tomorrow today because we, do, we fully believe that this generation will be the generation to fulfill the prophecies of end-time revival, but we understand that we can't do that on our own. That fulfillment of prophecy, that fulfillment of seeing this revival come to pass is not going to happen unless we do have Paul's leading us and fellow Timothys working with us. And that's where the Timothys table was birthed from. That's why I'm so excited to share this interview with you today. It's one of two interviews that were held during a crusade last September in the country of Bangladesh. This particular interview was with Pastor David Myers and a friend of mine, Riley Martin, and you'll learn about them in the opening of the interview, so I'll save their credentials for them. But I do need to warn you, this was recorded on iPhones in a hotel room, and at one point, the call to prayer interrupts the interview. But I do believe that the content of the interview outmatches the quality of sound as they discuss the call of God, its obstacles, and even to my surprise, finding out that Pastor Myers was as deeply entrenched in the ministry of the late and great missionary, Benny DeMerchant. The stories that he tells about missionary DeMerchant are amazing within themselves and enough for this podcast episode to air. And so get your passport ready and join us as we head to the city of Colna, And we sit down for our very first time at Timothy's Table. My name is Taylor Fairbanks, and you are listening to Timothy's Table, a special podcast geared toward equipping the next generation of ministers from the Pauls of today. And so I'm very excited about what we're doing today. We've got our Paul uh, is David Myers. He is a pastor from Palm Bay, Florida First Pentecostal Church and he has been pastoring there for 20 years now and he is also a president of a nonprofit organization called Hands for Healing and you'll hear more about that in just a moment and then our Timothy is a good friend of mine. Uh, he is a dynamic a young man of God and Uh, He is he's been a campus minister at Ball State University and not only did they start a campus ministry But it has evolved into a campus church, which I think is one of the coolest things on planet Earth And so Riley is going to lead this conversation and you might hear me jump in every now and then But I'm have Riley who is actually doing an internship for Pastor Myers lead the conversation uh, As the Timothy to his Paul and so Riley Take it away. Uh, First off, Pastor
1: Myers, thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely. Great to be here. Why don't you first just talk a little bit about, um, you know, I know Taylor briefly mentioned you and you're a pastor, you're a CEO, but just a brief mention of all the different areas of ministry you're involved in. I know there's, there's a lot there.
2: Yeah. It seems like ministry, you know, just sort of evolves as there's a need and you have a burden and it can kind of expand and go in different directions. Uh, when I was you know, first uh, just starting out 17 years old and trying to figure out you know, whether or not I wanted to go to Bible school or had a call in my life, um, you know, I did what I guess most young men do. You fleece the Lord and you try to find out if, if indeed this is something God's calling you to and it's not just your own wishes. And some uh, pretty amazing things happened you know, early on in my life that, that directed me toward uh, Bible school. Uh, which I thought, well, I'll go for one year and then I'll come back and uh, do something different. I either wanted to be a pilot or a lawyer. I just knew I didn't want to be a pastor or a preacher because my father was one. I wanted my own identity. But uh, it's amazing how God kind of steers you around all of that. And I ended up going to Bible school and then going evangelizing. And What's neat about the story as, uh, as life has progressed is I was able to go back and get my pilot's license and ended up doing a lot of missions work with Benny to Merchant down in the Amazon, flying um, the jungles down there with him. And then I was able to go back and uh, go to law school and uh, work for uh, Liberty Council defending uh, religious civil liberties. And um, I was able to do that for a number of years as well. And I considered both of those things to be areas of ministry. So really what the Bible says is true. If you seek first the kingdom of God, he gives you the desires of your heart. So those other areas, because I had a interest in those areas as a young man, God helped me to be able to be involved in that and then to use it for the kingdom as well. So, you know, when I was about 20 years old. I went on a, back then it was called International Youth Corps. Uh, was basically the United Pentecostal Church uh, missions program for young people. And uh, I went on a trip with uh, Brother Norm Pasley, and Brother Terry Pugh, and some awesome young people. And we went to the British Isles. And uh, that's really a, where I got bit by the the whole missions bug and uh, from that time until now which is i guess some uh, 34 years later i've been fortunate to go to 114 countries in fact even as we're talking here today we're sitting in a motel room in bangladesh in the middle of a crusade and, and we love it and uh i get a lot of fulfillment out of being involved in missions projects and uh, i started uh, uh, pastoring, uh, senior pastor about 20 years ago uh, when my father had to retire with uh, triple heart bypass and uh, I had worked with him for about 10 years and then uh, I went into being senior pastor with him and I've been, uh, been blessed to see the church quadruple and just a lot of really great things that have happened over the years that clearly was just the goodness of God. Now I know we hear we hear a
1: lot about how you know, the first instance you're called, you said you, you're called, you went to Bible school, all of those things. And then we hear the fast forward. I've been to 114 countries, I've flown planes all over the world. I've done all these amazing things. And, you know, I, I, as a young person think, okay, I'm, I'm here now where I, I know I'm called. I know that I want to do something like that. I want to do what you're doing. But can you speak a little bit to you know that that second step, almost the the process past, past the first calling, and before the, hundred and fourteen countries crusades all over the world, dynamic, quadrupling churches, all of this taking place. Yeah, it's it's
2: a great question, and you know what I think is is a valuable principle uh, to sort of lay as a template over the top of that is. I think that if you're always trying to find a way to make yourself more valuable to the kingdom of God, that as you equip yourself with more tools and make yourself available and valuable to the kingdom of God, then God opens doors. For instance, you know, I believe God chose Paul because Paul was uniquely qualified to reach the Gentiles. So he went out and recruited by force, Paul and said, hey, I need you. Well, Paul was very uh, gifted, he was very educated. Um, Someone said today in our devotion here in in Bangladesh, he had the equivalent of three PhDs. And though he was on the wrong track, God took his skills and talents and utilized them for the kingdom of God. So I think as, as a young man, if you say, what can I do to make myself more valuable to the kingdom of God? And as we increase our own um, skills or uh, make ourselves more available to God through um, you know, either education or experience or mentorship or all of these aspects that, that adds value to the kingdom, I think then God takes that and then opens doors to allow you to utilize those gifts. And if, if you do all of those things, with the purpose of growing the kingdom, then I think we, we invite God into that process. And, and then, you know, the doors open. You know, when you're young, one of the biggest things you fight is, it seems like things are not happening fast enough. Mm-hmm. You're just by nature more impatient when you're younger. And so it always seems like things are not happening as quick as you want them to. And if you just, if you just along the way say, okay, while I have time, I'm going to do this, I'm going to add this, I'm going to go to that school, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to evangelize, or I'm going to work under uh, this ministry or this mission, or I'm going to travel and be, and you, and you get into those areas of ministry where you're adding education, experience, uh, opportunity. Then I think what happens is all of those things have an accumulative effect that then you look back and you think, wow, god was in that he was in that in the middle of that process all along right you know and uh i I think that's just another example you know in my own life i think of another example when i was in high school i was in drama and uh one of the things i thought about i had a drama teacher that said oh you need to go to new york and be involved in plays and all that of course i knew that was never going to (laughs) fly with my family but what happened was i went to bible school we did dramas and then when I went back and started working with my dad, we started developing a, a Easter Messiah drama and we, Christmas productions and all. So it's like you take whatever opportunities you've had and you say, how can I use this to benefit the kingdom? And then God, just like he did the little boy's lunch, you know, he just takes it and multiplies it and, and expands it to, to feed the masses. Um, you spoke three, three important things that I, I
1: really feel are essential to me learning for the kingdom, education experience and mentorship. You you talked about education or you went to Bible school. Um, experience. I have a question there. How can I, you know, experience more, open those doors of experience without forcing a door open myself? How how can I, you know, how maybe a, an example from your life, but where can I find that experience in
2: that area? I yeah, I I think that's uh that's good. One of the things that I believe you could do is take advantage of programs that are offered through um, the organization. I think you can also take advantage of a network of friends that we, we all have a certain you know, circle of influence and you know, take advantage of that. I believe one of the most important aspects of ministry is service. If you're willing to serve in whatever capacity, work as a, camp, a counselor at a camp, um, serve as an armor bearer, uh, be involved in a conference if if a person is willing to serve a lot of times we think of that in our culture as being demeaning or you know that's not what we want to aspire to, but that is really where God picks his leaders from. He picks his leaders from those that are willing to serve. I remember old brother George l. glass senior who's been dead now for a number of years in fact, he was old when I was young, so this is how far back i'm reaching but I think he pastored like Uh, down in in, uh, somewhere in Southern Louisiana for a while. And he was a camp speaker. He would preach like two hours. And even as a kid, I can remember we'd all sit on the edge of our seat. But I remember him telling a story when I was just a kid where he was a a young person that, that God had saved as a teenager and he lived not far from the church. And he was so sold out. He went to the church and they were in revival, but the assistant pastor was not there to open the door. And there were visitors that were there wanting to go into the church and he said there was no way for them to get in he said he was just a teenager he was only like 15 years old he didn't have a key but he was so fearful these visitors were going to leave he took off and ran six miles to the assistant pastor's house to get the key this was long before cell phones and ran back and opened the door to the church to make sure those people get in he said years later when he was thanking god and saying god well, I don't know why you use me to preach camps and conferences and all this stuff you know that you have me do. I'm not worthy, I'm just a, a you know barefooted kid from Southern Louisiana. And he said, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, I saw you as a 15 year old boy. You were concerned about my house and about people being saved. And you ran six miles one way to get that key. And I decided then I will choose you for my kingdom. That's the thing God does. He marks things that we do when we're young and says, that's one that I'm going to use. Oh, wow.
1: so good. Now, on mentorship, I know I know for me, mentorship has been one of those key key areas that has developed me into what I've been able to do. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to have any of the opportunities that I now have if it weren't for, you know, mentors that God's placed in my life. Sure. And you're you're one of them standing before me. Um, can you speak to, you know, maybe the process of mentorship, how to, how to find a mentor, you know maybe some of the mentors in your life, anything that you can add on there? Absolutely.
2: Well, first of all, I want to say that I don't think that you can overestimate the importance of it. I, I believe that us having the right mentors, I mean, it's biblical, and it's so valuable in ministry especially. Ministry is, is very unique because ministry has a lot of intangibles in it. You know if you want to be a a lawyer you go to law school you get a degree you take the bar exam if you want to be a doctor you go to medical school there's so many professions that have a clearly laid path that you can just pursue with your own you know discipline and education so forth ministry has a lot of intangibles to it and you do all you can then god's got to do the rest and how do you work in that process and it's not you being too pushy question you alluded to earlier and god being involved so the, the importance of a mentor in ministry, I believe, is more valuable than probably any other profession. I do believe that you have to have mentors, and, and you can pick some of those mentors. You can say, okay, I aspire to be used in the gifts, so what can I do to, to, to be around people that, that have the gift of faith, or people that are involved in crusades and so forth? And you can put yourself in that environment, and, and, and you learn a lot just by being in their company. And then I think there's an important aspect to this. I believe that it's important for all of us to have somebody in our life that we give an account to that we didn't choose. Because as long as we're choosing the people that we're giving an account to, and I know this is probably not exactly mentorship, it's kind of a close cousin to it, but it's important to have authority figures in our life that we um, did not choose, and we give an account to that individual. Uh, or individuals because when you have that accountability that's when I think God opens the door for us to have the exposure to other mentors and other aspects of ministry. you know for me personally uh, of course my father uh, you know was always a, uh, a mentor and uh, a biblical example to me uh, growing up and even now he's 83 and I, I still look to him for guidance and advice and I I know I'm not going to have him forever, but I've been blessed. And I know not everybody has that opportunity, but I think, you know, for me, I had people in my life. Um, when I was young, I was involved in youth ministry, brother Jerry Jones was youth president. And I did a few camps with him and we connected and I've always sort of looked to him as also a, a mentor. I always loved his preaching and, and he helped me to, I think maybe develop more, um, of an interest in, um, you know, the, uh, excellence of pulpit ministry, uh, which he's known for. And, and then, you know, I was exposed to, uh, faith preachers, you know, when I was young that really, I think caused me to want to develop that area of being used in the gifts and, and evangelizing in that. And I, you know, it's an amazing thing, but you become sort of what you associate with. And I, I would just say this to, to maybe some, uh, young ministers that are listening you know be be around the people that you want to be 10 years from now you know if if you aspire to be somewhere 10 years from now someone said we can tell what you're going to be 10 years from now based upon your three closest friends you know think about that in terms of who you want to associate with and then if you just serve and make yourself available those mentors will have a big impact in your life
1: you mentioned the you know the gift of faith the, the gifts of the spirit I think that's one of the kind of apprehensions my generation has just a, a little bit because we don't understand a lot of it and because we're scared to kind of step out there um, which I I'm sure the same kind of happened with you when you were younger too was, was there an exact moment where you were like I I now have the gift of faith I know that you've you know, you spoke the word of faith in, in nations all over the world. Was there a moment where that took place or was it a process over time? Do you mind speaking
2: to that? Yeah, that's, um, I think, important to know because, yeah, I think there is a place. There's, there's, there's very seminal moments that you can point to, I think, in ministry. The first time you really felt anointed, you know, as a minister. And for me, it was when I was in Bible school and we were we were doing a drama on Noah. And I was Noah and I was preaching and all my classmates were playing the crowd and mocking me and all that and in the process of playing that part I got anointed we ended up having like a three hour prayer meeting on a Saturday night at, uh, at Bible school so that was a moment I could point to and say you know that's where I really felt like I was anointed and that, that God was going to use me in ministry if I fast forwarded you know probably four or five years after that it was whenever I was evangelizing and I was being uh, I was seeking for God to, to give me guidance and direction on this. And I was on a long uh, fast and and prayer. And I was in a uh, seminar. They used to do seminars for evangelists. I was down in Houston, Texas at a Doubletree Hotel. And I was praying about this. And I was on a fast. And God spoke to me and said, if you believe, you shall receive. And I realized at that point that basically it had been given. I just had to exercise it. So the very next revival I was to preach was at a little town in Louisiana, I think it was called Wiesner, Louisiana. And the uh, pastor had us, uh, my buddy and I were evangelizing together, preach on a Sunday night. I never knew him. But we just said, hey, let's step out in faith. And we just did a prayer line at the end of the service. And people just started getting healed and it just started blowing our minds. And from that point on, I realized that faith is really the key and operating in the gifts of the spirit and really in the supernatural with God, because faith is sort of the trigger that unlocks everything else. Was there a
1: time after that where you would, you know, question it all? Was that just a specific moment or was it from that moment on you were at that level and you, you know, did not
2: kind of stoop back down below? <laughs> yeah, there was one, there was one time that just jumps out in my head where I was evangelizing and, uh, I was up in Pennsylvania. And I was, uh, in a small church and, uh, I was, once again, we were preaching faith and we'd had, uh, a prayer line and, uh, a lady had, had come up and was using a walker and, and she had different things that she was relying on. I prayed for her and, and nothing happened. And then we kept having the prayer line and she kept coming back into the prayer line. And I ended up praying for her like three times and she you know, nothing happened. And so I um, I don't know if other people are like this or not, but when I was evangelizing, being used in the gifts of spirit, when the service was over, I didn't want to go out and eat. I didn't want to go talk to nobody. I would just want to go back to my room and uh, and be by myself. So they had a little room for me there at the church. And I went back and and I was just kind of like, you know, questioning God and I don't know, feeling sorry for myself or wondering why this lady wasn't healed. And and the pastor came and knocked on the door and said, we've got some pizza and we want you to come and, so just, you know, I didn't want to be antisocial, but grudgingly I went to socialize with the pastor and the, his family and some of the, uh, some of the uh, youth leaders. So while we were there, I just asked, cause this thing was still on my mind about this lady. And, uh, and uh, I said, you know, I noticed we prayed for her and nothing happened. And, uh, you know, I said toward the end of that, when I was, uh, when I was praying and asking God, why she wasn't healed, the Lord spoke to me and said she doesn't wanna be healed. And I said, that really confused me because she kept getting in the prayer line over and over. (laughs) What do you mean she doesn't wanna be healed? She obviously has a problem and she keeps getting in line. (laughs) So what's the deal? And the guy, the pastor just laughed and he said, oh, he said she was in a car accident um, about six months ago and she's in a big lawsuit. And she always comes down to get prayed, but she doesn't want to get healed because she'll lose a million dollars. <laughs> so here I was beating myself up, wondering if God had forsaken me, if this lady's dealing with a lawsuit. And I'm like, oh my God! And I, I realized at that point that you can never question because you don't know what's happening with the heart and, and with the situation of the person you're praying for. Right. And it requires both. It, it does require your faith. But, you know, it says we're two or three gathered, you know, if two or three agree as touching any one thing that lies in my name it shall be done. It requires not just your faith, but the faith of the individual as well. So that's where I had to kind of learn that, that whatever you don't know or can't figure out, you just have to put it in God's hands. So basically, I just need to speak the word. And then if it happens or if it doesn't happen, it's not me, but it's God. That's exactly right. You know, and it's like the Bible talks about that some of the seed went forth, you know, it fell on thorny ground and some fell on stony ground and but you know some fell on good ground and even in preaching you know you preach the word there's times you feel like you just you know did a terrible job and you just don't you're like i can't believe i just you know preached that message it was just a big watermelon and it flopped and blah 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 and somebody will come up afterwards and say You know, I was going through this or that and boy, that word, you know, the da da and God really used you and I'm you know, now I'm gonna do this and that, but I mean I had that happen to me when I was just a young preacher. My very first revival, I thought, man, I'm just not ever gonna preach again. And a kid came up afterwards and said he was gonna he was contemplating suicide. But he felt God changed his direction and called him to ministry that night and so forth. And here I had thought, you know, this is just a horrible effort on my part. And that's where you really do learn that you just do what God's told you to do and you, and you leave the rest to Him. Do you mind speaking first um, to, our, to our
1: generation? Um, I know you've, you've dealt with young people, you've dealt with you know, being a pastor, you know, leading the nonprofit all over the world, different people. What, what is the greatest weakness or the greatest thing that our generation can improve on? And then I'll have you speak to the greatest strength of our generation as well.
2: I think every generation has its its own challenges, and obviously your generation is facing things that you know I didn't have uh, as a as a struggle simply because we didn't have the availability of it, like you know texting and cell phones and, and all the internet and all of that that goes on. Uh, you know I told my kids, you know when I was growing up we didn't have the internet, and my my nine year old daughter says. Dad, did they have automobiles when you were a kid? I'm like, I'm not 100 years old, you know? So, yeah, there are some things that your generation going to face that um, and is facing that may be more uh, specific because you've simply got more options. You guys have a lot more things available to you at a much younger age. And it's sometimes difficult to know how to... Discipline all of those things. You got social media that you got to deal with that, that wasn't an issue, you know, when I was a teenager. And you, you know you got cell phones. You have all of this access to all of this uh, information and connection. And I think probably the biggest thing that is a challenge for your generation is um, it's a big word. I don't mean it to sound like you know I'm educated or anything, but. Narcissism—I just can't think of a word to replace it. It's just a kind of a self-centered, you know. It's kind of the selfie generation, and there's a there's a sense with each generation because all of us want our kids to have it better off than we did. And there, you know, my dad's generation was very self-sacrificing. My generation was not as much. The next generation's even less because there's more and more things that are being handed to. Them. I was I was on a tour one time and. Uh, China with uh, my wife, and the guide was telling us about dynasties in China, and he said every third dynasty would be conquered, because he said the first dynasty family sacrificed, went to war, they weren't afraid to battle, they gained power. The second dynasty family, they enjoyed the success of their forefathers. By the third generation, they became very susceptible to be an overrun again, because that sacrifice dissipated with each generation. So here we are now, many of us second, third, fourth generation Pentecost. Are we willing to, to sacrifice? Are we willing to make the commitment? That's one thing I learned in hanging around Brother Benny Demurch and some of these old missionaries is that there is no revival without sacrifice. And the challenge for your generation is gonna be, are we willing to pay the price? are we willing to sacrifice? Because you do not get revelation and you don't get revival without sacrifice. They're, they're part and parcel to each other. So that's the challenge with all the technology and all the stuff going around. Are we willing to sort of insulate and isolate ourselves enough that we can stay focused on making the necessary sacrifices to be able to hear from God and to sort of cut out all that background noise. That's not to say, you know, you've got to go cold turkey from all of it. I know that's part of our culture, but are we willing to discipline ourselves enough so that that doesn't override our thought process, our thinking on a daily basis?
1: I know in speaking with my you know, my grandmother, who was very much a part of that, that generation that had to sacrifice greatly, you know, there were many times where they, they had to have a prayer meeting to have dinner that night. Exactly. Um, she started to speak on the affluence of Pentecost in our generation. You know, we we're not necessarily hurting for money the way that, you know, three generations ago were. And so without that, almost the financial sacrifice taken out of the picture, God is supplying the funds. What is the greatest way that, that my generation can sacrifice?
2: I believe the key is to keep a spirit of thankfulness. You know, when you look in uh, Romans chapter one at that whole list of things that happened whenever people got off track and, and they became, you know, lovers of themselves and there's a whole, in Romans one, there's a whole litany of things that even ends up dealing with perversion and all that. When you go back and you look at the beginning of that list, it starts out with, they refuse to be thankful. Everything flows from having a spirit of appreciation And I've said this often, and I believe it. The biggest challenge that Joseph had was not the pit that his brothers threw him in or the prison that he was put in through false accusations. But his biggest challenge was the palace. Because in the pit and in the prison, you have limited options. But in the palace, which is really what the American church has got to deal with, the affluence of our generation, you have a lot of options. You have to make a decision whether or not you're gonna wake up every day and say, you know what, to whom much is given, much is required. Now I've been given a lot, but am I gonna have a spirit of appreciation? And am I gonna say, I've been given a lot, but now there's a requirement, there's a responsibility that goes with that blessing. If we wake up every day and recognize I've been blessed, but there's a responsibility that goes with it. And I'm gonna wake up every day and give God thanks for all of his blessings in my life. I think that guards our spirit and our heart so that it doesn't overwhelm us to the point that we're not productive in the kingdom of God. Hey Amen. That's so good.
1: To whom much is given, much is required, and our generation must be thankful. But can you talk a little bit to the strength of of my generation? What what we can do to grow on the on the foundation and, and become even stronger in this day
2: to, to reach that global harvest, that global revival. I think that's a great question. And there is a lot of strength that's involved in your generation because you have more opportunity. Um, you're, in a, you're in a time where everything is available. You've got the ability to reach the world, um, you know, the other side of technologies that it can be used for the kingdom of God. You have, you know, what they say is true. You're not a digital. Immigrants like my generation, as your digital natives, you 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 grow up. Just use my my daughter's third word was iPad. Mama, dad, dad, (laughs) iPad. I mean, she grew up. There's just a great ability, availability, and opportunity for your uh, generation. And I think uh, the strength of your generation is that if they utilize that passion and channel it. And all the opportunities, uh, I think there's a greater focus on education, which is making it easier for us to connect with the world around us. You know, right now we're hearing the sound of a of a cry that they're giving out right now in Bangladesh uh, from from the Muslim faith, calling people uh, into the streets to to uh, to pray. That's going to be the world around you. It's going to be different religions. It's going to be different belief mechanisms. And yet there is a tremendous respect for this generation to say, we're going to give all of our heart, and all of our focus on reaching the world. The greatest thing that is a passion of our Lord and Savior is souls. And so if I have a passion for souls like he does, I align myself with a God who will bless and multiply those efforts. And I think your generation has a hold of that like never before. And I think we see that with our North American Youth Congress, with Bible quizzing, with young people that are involved in missions projects, it's all happening around us. And I, I have great confidence in your generation. I'm excited to hopefully be a part of passing the baton on to you. Amen, amen.
1: I wanna thank you so much for, for being that Paul in my life. And if, and if Taylor is okay with it, as we're, as we're hearing <laughs> hearing the call to prayer yeah. by the Muslim faith, um, I wonder if it'd be okay if you, as a Paul to to me the Timothy, would pray over me, absolutely, and and be that Paul in my life and and pray over those things in my life, if that would be all right. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely, let's just pray together right now, Lord. I thank you for Riley. Jesus. I thank you for Taylor. I thank you, Lord, for these young men that you have just put the mantle upon them. We know, Lord, from the word of God that it was your servant Elisha that did not seek the mantle. He sought a double portion, more of you. The mantle came as a byproduct of their desire for more of you. I pray, God, that there would be a desire
0: in this generation. Three things I want to do before we before we wrap this, this edition up. Um, First, um, actually, we'll we'll just do two things. Um, First, Benny DeMerchant. Okay, people that might be listening to this uh, might not know because he just recently passed away of just the legacy, the the amazing ministry that God gave Benny DeMerchant, um, and to help keep that legacy alive, to keep that that mantle going on. Um, I, I, would you mind just giving, giving everybody that's listening right now, a small synopsis of Benny the merchant as well as maybe a, like a story that comes to your mind, because I hear that I never got to meet him. Right. I've only read about him, watched sermons. Uh, I've admired from afar, but I hear he was quite a character. Oh, uh, he was amazing. He was a, just a giant, a giant of a man. I, I first got involved
2: um, probably about 12 years ago, where he uh, he needed my help in a legal situation that they were facing in Brazil. And um, so I had, I had never met him before. I had I'd grown up hearing about him. And um, we, we flew down there, and three times in a thunderstorm, the plane tried to land and couldn't land and kept going around and around. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll end up dying down here. And uh, finally landed. And, I go to the luggage area to pick up my bags and there's this guy with a straw hat and uh, his clothes look like he slept in them and he's got suspenders on that are also a tape measure where you can measure how big of a fish he caught. And uh, I said, are you Brother DeMerchant? And He said, yeah. And I said, man, we had to go around three times and I thought we were going to die. And he goes, yeah, an instrument landing system that never works when there's a storm. And, you know, and I was like, you know, I was still, like, shaking. And he, was, he was like, oh, was no big deal. Little did I know that was just the beginning. And uh, he went and dropped me off at the Amazon. I had flown for 30 hours, but he said, my plane, you know, it's kind of in a drought right now. And where I got my plane parked, you know, it's in a little pond. We won't be able to get up with the weight. So you stay here by the Amazon. I'll come over here and pick you up. And. Those guys over there whittling around on the canoe, they'll drag you out there in your bags, and uh, we'll go off and we'll go fishing. So I said, okay. So I'm like looking for some shade. I'm in the Amazon. I've been flying all day and night. So I'm sitting on there going, what in the world have I gotten into? <laughs> and uh, about an hour and a half later, I hear the buzz of this little plane. It comes over, and he picks me up, and we fly out. He goes, "You?" he said, you fly? And I said, well, I have my pilot's license, but I've never flown, you know, floats. His, his two little planes had floats because he'd take off and land on the Amazon. He said, well, you'll get used to it, you know. And So we get in there, and I I start reading reading these instruments, and none of them are working. And I'm like, what about, you know, this gauge, the vertical speed indicator? And he's like, oh, that don't work. And you take a sticky note, and he would put it over the front of it. So after about six gauges not working, there's all sticky notes all over the dashboard. (laughs) And I'm like, how are we going to fly? He's like, oh, you just learn how to fly by the seat of your pants. Well, I had not been trained to fly by the seat of my pants. Right, but right. that was the way he flew. And then we landed out in the jungle. And I said, well, we better get back. You know, it's going to get dark. He's like, no, we sleep out here. And I'm like, out where? He rolls out a hammock. He says, we just sleep out here in the in the jungle. I'm like, in a hammock? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we'll fish in the morning, you know. So I'm laying there, and there's like 50 bats flying over my head. I'm out in the jungle that with him. awesome. And I'm like... This is crazy. And I roll over my stomach and I fall asleep because i would just been flying day and night, you know. And the next morning we're fishing. Sure enough, we're c- c- catching all these peacock bass. He's this great fly fisherman. And uh, he, uh, he, I said, Man, I think my elbows, something's wrong with my elbow. My left elbow was swelling up, you know. And I was thinking, Well, maybe it's just the heat and we're catching all these fish. And yeah. he goes, Let me see that. And he looks at it and he goes, you got bit by a vampire bat last night. <laughs> no. I'm like, you're bad. <laughs> you're kidding me. He said, no, they'll sit right there on you, and they'll decollagulate that slider they got. It can decollagulate your blood, and they'll suck it out. You'll never even know it. They're like a little surgeon. I'm like, dear God, they got rabies. Oh, we got to get to a hospital. He's like, no, you'll be fine, you know. And uh, he pulls on the propeller to test the compression, and we are out in the middle of the jungle, and, he tells me, you know, he's got one cylinder that's bad. I'm like, well, we better call for help. He's like, nah, the rest of the cylinders are okay, you know. And he goes to take off, and there's like sticks that are out in the middle of the water where kids are putting little fishing nets up, you know. And I'm like, brother, the watch that stick. He goes, I see it. And he hits it, and the stick flies. And I'm like, wait, we can stop. We got to look at the propeller. He's like, nah, we'll be okay. And we just clear these trees, and I'm just like praying. And, he says, "Flies back to Amazon, and flies back to Manaus, where he was from, you know." And he says, "I'll just be over here sleeping. I'll be like a big gator. I can spring to life if you need me." So I look. <laughs> He's asleep for like thirty minutes, and I look at the gauges, in both tanks and both wings are on empty. So I wake him. I felt like the disciples, you know, on the boat. You right. Care not that we perish, Lord. I'm like, Brother merchant, Brother merchant. both tanks are. He takes the, 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 the yoke on the right side and he sloshes the, the fuel around and makes the plane go back and forth and says, no, see, the gauges are moving. We still got a little fuel. He's like, go to your left tank and drain that one first. So I go to my left tank. He goes back to sleep. I'm sitting there going, I'm going to die in this jungle. <laughs> the left tank starts sputtering. It's out of gas. He goes, go to your right tank. I go to the right tank. It goes along for a little bit, then it starts sputtering, you know, he goes, okay, now I'll take it. And I'm thinking, what's he going to do? Both tanks, or is he going to make, you know, gas be produced in the tanks, you know, like the Lord turning water to wine or how's this going to work? He right. flies the thing way up on an angle like this with the right wing way up toward the sky and he drains every drop of fuel out of there. <laughs> and then that engine's gone. And then he takes it and he takes the left wing and puts it way up toward the air and he drains that one. And when that one shuts off, he touches down right on the water and he says, perfect. <laughs> and boom, both, both the both tanks are empty and the engine stops. And I'm like, perfect. He said, that was perfect. I'm like, if it's money, I'll pay for more gas. I've got a family. I can't die in this jungle, you know? And he says, I said, how are we going to get up to where we're supposed to go? He said, there's two paddles back there. You get on the left pontoon, I'll get on the right. We're paddling, you know? And I said, Brother DeMerchant, you're cutting it too close. He goes, well, son, you know, sometimes uh, fuel takes a lot of weight. in the little places we fly in and out of, we, we just don't have the weight, you know, to be able to take off. And so I've got to plan my fuel just right. I don't have the luxury of extra fuel.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: So we go back to his house. I'm sorry. This is such a long story. This is awesome. We, <laughs> we go back to his house, and he says, David, if you can't sleep, here's a And he hands me a bunch of manuscripts they're old yellow typed pages, like on an old Royal typewriter. And he said, you may want to read this. So I start reading it. I stay up all night and read. And it's all about everything that's happened in that Amazon with him as a missionary over the past no 42 way. years. And the next morning, I've only had like an hour sleep. You know, I said, brother, the merchant, I read all of that. He said, really? I said, we're going to turn this into a book. He starts bringing out all these boxes of photo albums. And he starts showing me articles where he was in Sports Illustrated and Field and Stream. And, I mean, all of this stuff, I'm like, this guy's a legend. I said, my sons need to know about this. Well, that book became Full Throttle, which was the UPC's best-selling book. What? It's all about his story, his life.
0: I didn't know that. Oh yeah. I I promise. I did not ask that question, like knowing that that was, that is amazing. That's where it
2: all came from.
0: Wow.
2: And then over the course of the next 10 years, we flew together all up and down that jungle. My son, my wife, I mean, we all went down there, you know, once or twice a year. My, my youngest son got the, uh, I got twin boys, but the one who was, is one minute younger than his twin, he got the Holy Ghost in Brazil. While wow. we were down there, we would go down and build churches, uh, with groups of men from our church. But here's the thing. And I'll close with this. Cause I think this is what I really learned being around Benny the He literally did walk by faith and it was obvious to me when I was helping him put that book together, that this is a guy who God has directed his every step. He would not right. be alive right. if there was not a God guiding him and directing him, you know? And, uh, incredible stories about when he had one accident where he lost a couple of passengers and, uh, the enemy came to him and said, you need to go home. You know, you're, 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 these people belong to me and you need to go back to Canada and all that. And he'd cry himself to sleep every night. and He said at the end of, at the end of two weeks, an angel stood in front of his bed and said, I come from Jehovah God. And he has sent me to give you a message. And that is that you're where you need to be and there's going to be great revival. Wow. Don't worry about the ones that were lost. They're with me and they're safe. And he said, from that point on, we just started having revival revival and they ended up building over 2000 churches, over 250,000 people man in that Amazon, incredible because of one guy that just kept himself in God's hands and he walked by faith every day was just walking by faith. When, when he, he reasonably handed me all those yellow manuscripts is because, when his son, his 15 year old son was battling cancer, his only son, he was battling cancer. He started typing about everything that had happened in the Amazon and his son died of bone cancer at 15 years old. And he stopped writing that book. And we were able to get that book back resurrected. And of course the impact of his life on so many countless thousands of people is amazing. But just a few months before he passed, we were down there in the Amazon with him. I'd brought some men down there. We were putting a new church on the Bible school in the central church, we putting a new roof on the on the central church and the Bible school down there. And I was riding with him and his wife, Sister uh, Teresa merchant And she said, Benny, did you tell David about that angel you saw? He said, no, I didn't tell him about no angel. She said, no, come on, tell him about the angel. He said, he don't wanna hear about no angel. I said, no, brother Benny, tell me about the angel. (laughs) (laughs) He said, well, you know that Indian village we used to fly up to up there at the base of the waterfall and we brought food up there. I said, yeah, yeah, I remember. He said, well, I was flying up there and he said, you know, it's about four hour flight. And he said, I think it was just the humidity in the air, the hum of the engine. But he said, I ended up falling asleep. And he said, I woke up and I looked to my right and there was a guy sitting there and he had four stripes on his sleeve. And he said, I knew that meant he was a captain. And he said, I turned and looked in it again, and he was gone. And he said, I turned and looked at my instruments, and he said, I could tell I had the same altimeter, I had the same altitude, I had the same direction. And he said, but I could tell from my Hobbes meter, I'd been asleep about 45 minutes. Wow. And he said, I realized that God had sent me an angel. And he said, I was just thanking the Lord. He said, Lord, I thank you for not only sending me an angel, but sending me a captain. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, He's been flying with you for 50 years. You just saw him for the first time. Jesus' name. I got chills, man. Oh, my goodness. That's what, (laughs) being around people like that, that's where I learned these men walked by faith. Right. Every day was just a faith journey. Right. They walked by faith, and God was faithful to them.
0: Jesus' name.
2: Their whole life. He never wanted to have to leave Brazil, because that was home to him. And he never wanted to, he never wanted to... um, lose his pilot's license and right up to the very end he was in brazil and he had his pilot's license
0: so he went to be with the lord on his own terms wow that is i man i did not know what i was walking into with the question <laughs> dude i'm like i'm blown away and that's
2: just the tip of the iceberg i know it's yeah. just so much i would really encourage your listeners to to get the book full throttle throttle, because it'll change your life. I I had my boys read it it. when they were really young. You know, we read, I think I read it to them when they were like 12 years old.
0: I don't have a copy, but I've heard, I've heard like different, uh, different parts of it. And I'm like you, Riley, I, I, am reading it the day I get back. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Man. It'll change your life. Like, wow. That is so incredible. That is unbelievable. So, uh, missionary to, to the Amazon and what a life. Um and we go there. We go there well, in, we go there in uh, October. October. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, so y'all travel together. You're 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 very close and obviously like I'm gonna keep that prayer on here. That was that was incredible. Um I wanna ask you to ask Riley a question. Or two, whatever. But I wanna give Paul now the the chance to just ask Timothy um something. And I I this is I, I gave Riley and Pastor Myers a list of questions that would we'll probably be asked. So this is very much unscripted. Um, I don't mean to put Pastor Myers on the no, spot. I, and if you I don't feel this. comfortable doing <laughs> no, this. No, I, I love this. But just in the middle of this, I, I was prompted. I was like, man, it'd be so cool for Paul to to inquire from, from Timothy, something to, to help uh, anybody that's listening as well. Absolutely. And, you
2: know, this is, is something that I really... Ah uh, treasure this opportunity because I have uh, twin fourteen year old boys and of course my my greatest desire is that they would be young men that that have a heart for God and um, i I've, I've tried to teach him what I knew about Bible quizzing and uh, tried to expose them to missions trips and all but one of the things I want to ask Riley is because it's something that's important to me to know as a father is you know when you finally made um, A decision as a young man that you were going to pursue the ministry you made up in your mind that you weren't going to do it casually but if you were going to do this you were going to give it all that you had and what I want to know is what what leads up to that as a young man to make a decision because I'm you're you're an intelligent young man you have a lot of opportunities but you made a decision to pursue God and not just to pursue God but to give it a one hundred and thirty percent, what what is it that that led up to you making a decision uh, to to give so much passion and so much heart to what God is doing?
1: I believe in in my life personally, it was it was a process that happened over time. Um, ever since I've been young, I've known that I wanted this. I wanted everything I could. I didn't just want to be you know you're you average christian or you're you a pentecostal saint but i wanted everything that that i could get i was very shy as a kid i i wasn't even sure if i was going to if i was going to preach if whatever i was going to do i just knew that i wanted it whatever i had to do whoever i had to get around whatever i had to be however much i had to pray fast i i just knew that i wanted it and over time i learned I learned what I needed to do to to reach that level to you know I learned that you know education experience mentorship those were the keys to to progressing me to the next level and each step I would just go to the next level but I think really the key is that I got in my spirit that I want more I want more no matter what happens no matter you know every single service that was spoken every every single preacher that got up, I would try to apply it to my life. Whatever I had to do to get more, I, I knew that there was, there was a difference there between, I mean, not to, not to sound narcissistic like you were, you were saying earlier, but I knew that there was a difference between me and between others. I would, I would linger in the altar as long as I could. But really what, what led me to that passion is i started praying for people and i started reaching people when i was in fourth grade my best friend received the holy ghost his parents were going through a divorce and he would he would cling to me on the altar just as long as he could we you know the the best prayer warriors in the church would would have already left the altar call and he would still be clinging to my shoulder and i realized that people are hungry, and and people need this, and people want this, and I can't keep what I'm receiving from God for myself, and so anytime that, you know, I stopped in in the mindset that I want more for myself, it always came back to souls for me, and when I really got that in my heart, it didn't matter if I was shy, it didn't matter if I didn't want to go somewhere, it didn't matter if I didn't want to study, if I didn't want a mentor, if I didn't want experience whatever I had to do to reach hungry people, I started to pray, you know, God, whatever, whatever I've got to do, whatever I can do, just let me reach souls, just let me reach souls. And that's, that's really what, what led me to, to where we are now, you know, in Bangladesh, preaching to we had 7,000 last night in attendance. That's what led me to that point to where there's so many people in this world that are hurting and that are hungry, and, and I knew that I couldn't keep that for myself. I couldn't keep what I had for myself. I had to, I had to do it because it was all about
2: souls. Amen. You think God gave you that burden for souls, or do you think... Um, it was a combination of the Lord putting it on your heart, and then you also being willing to receive that and, and act upon it. I think I think the
1: the latter is true there. Um, I definitely think that you know God God gave me a bird. My parents tell me you know even as a kid, you know I would I'd always be looking to to help people, and I'd always have that you know meek spirit as a kid. But what propelled me to actually doing something you know I always had a had a heart for people but what propelled me to actually doing something is is getting in a prayer room and when I started to pray that's when God started to speak and things started to happen where you know I remember instances where where God would say go talk to that person and go invite them to church tonight and I was a shy kid and that person would be a, a cheerleader in our school. And I didn't, that was not Riley. That was not me. <laughs> and I'd have to go and do it because I had already told God, I'll, I'll do whatever to reach souls. And then, you know, she ended up coming that night and I was, I was shocked. I was surprised, you know, what, what God said actually worked. That was a, a moment for me where I, I really realized and received the Holy Ghost that night. Three girls from my school received the Holy Ghost that night. And came up to me and and said, You don't understand. I, I started to explain, you know, yeah, that's the joy of God, you know, He's down in, in your life. But then she spoke to me and said, No, you don't understand. I was set to commit suicide. Wow. Three days from now. And wow. when that happened, I realized I realized almost the voice of God in my life that I knew that I had a hunger for souls, and that I knew that I wanted to reach souls. But I feel that there's a difference between having that hunger and acting on that hunger. You know, doing something with it. And when just that small instance of just go talk to her, I I didn't expect anything to happen from it. But that hunger just started to grow and started to grow over time. And it really it really has to happen though. A lot of times, you know, when I wake up in the morning, you can you can walk through the world just walking through it or you can walk through and recognize that there's thousands millions billions of people around you that are going to one day stand before god and they're either going to go to heaven or go to hell and you may be the only person that can stop that from happening you may be the only person that can reach their life you may be the only jesus that they see and I realized I had to do anything I could to let them see Jesus in me.
0: Amen.
2: Well, can I ask one more question?
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, What
2: would be your advice then to someone like me who's raising teenage sons?
1: I think that, you know, just being, being an example like you are is great is, you know, it, it has to be done. It must be done for your sons to see that, but really providing them the opportunity to experience the supernatural. Um, there was evangelist Josh Herring, which, which you know well. See, for me, I didn't. I didn't know much outside of I have a hunger for souls. But when he would come, when men like him would come, men of great faith that would come in, when, when I would see their passion, their power, and then God backing it up with the results that took place, when I would see that happen, if I feel like, you know, with your sons, with people in the world, if you have that hunger in you, and then you see what can be done with that, that that's the catalyst, that's what propels them, and then from that point on, you know, it's up to the, the individual but when you get around men like that, when you're, when you're placed in contact with men of great faith, like we've talked many times on, on this podcast, it propels your faith to the next level. And you, it almost forces you to make a decision because you see that they got there by sacrifice and it forces you to make the decision of will I be great or won't I? And once you make that decision there's there's no stopping the process
2: that's right that's excellent yeah so just being exposed to yes, sir men of great faith and you know the saying is true there's more that's caught than is taught right and when you're in an atmosphere um, where you have that opportunity to be exposed to uh, those environments of great faith then you 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 catch that and then to your point you know you make a decision whether or not you're willing to pay the price to sustain and to walk in that so well this is exciting man i just want to say taylor how much i appreciate you creating this forum and uh it's a it's a passion of mine to to be able to impact the next generation and uh i'll just say this i know we've got to go but one of the goals that i have over the next 15 years is to try to Um, mentor, the next generation. And I'm reminded of a saying that I believe is attributed to uh, J.T. Pugh. He said, I wish I had a truckload of tomorrows, but I don't. So I want to invest in those that do. And I don't think there's anything greater in life than to invest in the next
0: generation. Yes, sir. And I hope I'm able to be a part of that. Absolutely. Man, pastor sure. Myers, this, the, you've, oh man, I'm like, I'm chomping at the bits now. <laughs> Everybody needs to hear this. Cause this was unbelievable. Riley, thank you so much, uh, man, I'm, I'm blown away. There's no good way to end this. Um, but to say just thank you. And, uh, we just pray that this does help someone. Uh, this does encourage somebody and that, um, uh, they understand that ministry is, is not something that's for certain people, but it's for everybody. But I think there's some that we've learned here that um, ultimately it's, it comes down to two things. Are you willing to? And what are you willing to sacrifice? Amen. And um, man, this is so encouraging. Thank you so much nice. for both of your, your, your words of wisdom and your time. Uh, this is Taylor Fairbanks, Timothy's Table, our first episode which might be the best one ever, who <laughs> <laughs> so. Man, that was so much fun with those guys. I want to give a very special thanks to both Pastor David Myers and Riley Martin for that amazing interview. And I want to thank you for listening. This is just it's 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 insane to know that it's happening, that it's 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 finally taking place, and I truly hope that it helped encourage or equip you on some level because ministry is not just for one, it's for all, and there's something for everyone in God's kingdom. And if you enjoyed this, do me a massive favor and subscribe to the Timothy Network, not only for future editions of Timothy's Table, but also for the start of the Timothy Project with AJ Holloway, which I am so stoked about. And if you know anyone that would enjoy this, Please feel free to share with them. Once again, my name is Taylor Fairbanks, and I can't wait to join you again at Timothy's Table.